0: uh pray with me and we're gonna get rolling if you have your bibles while i'm praying you might want to find romans we're gonna sit in romans for a little bit okay father thank you for this time Uh, thank you for what we see outside your beauty in creation your beauty in the way the sun comes up and turns the clouds pink and gorgeous we thank you for that Uh, we thank you that you know us all by name you you know the intricate details of our lives you have your our hands Uh, written, or our names written on your hands, rather. You love us. We thank you for that. Now, Father, I pray that as we study how we can love one another more, uh, your spirit works, penetrates our heart, like Hebrews says, that your word will penetrate the marrows of our bones, and we'll be able to live out what you have so graciously given to us in your son. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So there's a catch 22 in scripture. You know what catch 22 is? Hey Cody, good to see you. And family. Uh, uh, you know what that is? I had to make sure I had the right thing. When there's like, you do this and it's gonna suck and you do this and it's gonna suck. So you're kind of like, oh man. There's a catch 22. And it's this whole, I, the whole idea of uh, being in community with one another, right? The introverts are like, yes. Cause I don't like to talk to people. And so you have this whole thing of like, I got to be in community because the scripture commands it to us. It's not only commanded, it's displayed in Acts and all you can go back in the Old Testament if you really want to geek out, community is displayed all through the Old Testament. The whole book of Leviticus is how we're going to live with one another. And you guys got to look at Leviticus sometime in your quiet time, I dare you. Uh, But there's this whole thing of how are we going to live? But the problem, so you're commanded to, but the problem on the other side of it is when you... Become friends with people when you have community with somebody else, what happens? You get offended by people, right? How many of you have been offended in the last 20 minutes by something I did? <laughs> ah, here we go. Now we're talking. Okay? But have you noticed that that it's like when when, when you're offended, you have this choice. Okay? Let's let's take this metaphorically. You have the you, you've been given an offense. Somebody makes fun of Ohio State. You start putting it in your bag. And then you bump heads with somebody else over, I don't know, there's not a lot of things going around in our world to offend us right now, but let's just imagine, okay? Uh, and then you start throwing more things in your bag. And you're carrying this around with you. And, and, and every time you bump heads with somebody, or you step on someone's toes, or someone steps on your toes, you pick up more rocks and you put them in your bag. And and the thing is, we don't do anything about these rocks. And so sooner or later, what ends up happening is we have all of the offenses in our bags and we're lugging this thing around in our lives. Am I catching? Does anyone do this? Because it's easier, right, to hold on to this bag than it is to actually deal with what's in the bag. We would rather say, no... I'm good, I'm just gonna zip this thing up and, and carry it with me because uh, I, don't, I don't wanna have one of those awkward conversations. I'm not an Enneagram eight, I don't, th- I don't thrive in those things. I'm, a, I'm an Enneagram nine and I would rather, I would rather have a good looking bag and a, huge, and a huge bottle of anger on my shoulder than to actually deal with the 30 pounds that's sitting on my back. And what happens is we go through life with this and then we get weighed down. We wonder why we're always so on edge. We wonder why we're always uh, afraid to go over there to talk because there's someone might be over there that we're not really happy with. Uh, We wonder why there's an awkward pause at the school pickup line because that kid's parent is a whack job, right? You can, uh, they might not be here so you can go, yes. Okay? We all have those in our lives. And it weighs us down to the point where we can't live the life in community that we are commanded to. Yet we're supposed to be in community. Do you see the catch-22? I don't want to talk to that person because of what they did. I don't want to be around that person because of what happened, because of what they said. So we collectively have to figure out a way to let this go to put this down it's this whole concept of forgiving how do i put the rock down and release the rock so it's not weighing me down anymore so i can live the life and community that god wants me to live forgiving doesn't come naturally at all in fact i think it's been woven in our existence since the fall back in genesis 3 that we want to hold grudges We want to hold rocks. We want to get that person back for what they did. And forgiving seems impossible. So when Paul talks about forgiving, it's always in an application to something because he knows you and I can't do forgiving on our own. And so whenever he talks about forgiving in his letters, it always comes back towards the end. Remember, Paul's letters are usually shaped by this. Stop it. Here's what God says. Now do this. Here's what God says. God says forgiveness. God says to to live with each other, uh, one another, love one another. And it comes after the stop. It it also comes after this point where he says, gives us the power on how we should do it. Paul says, if you're going to forgive, you're going to need some help. Because there's no way possible. In Romans 12, we see this laid out. Romans 12, Paul gives us a couple insights, maybe two, maybe more. Today we're going to look at maybe two. So I'll say maybe two insights. It might go longer. depends how much time I have. But Paul says this, that uh, he gives us insights on how we can forgive and how we can live peacefully with one another. So if you have your Bibles, Romans 12, if you're looking for Romans, find, find Psalms, turn right and go almost to the end, Okay. Uh, It'll be there. If you're on your Bible app, just look up Romans. It's easier, okay? Romans 12. We're going to look at verse 14. It says this, bless those who persecute you. Bless, do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Okay, there's a first, there's one insight here, okay? The first one we see. It says, when you're persecuted. Now, persecuted, we think of What's happening in other countries where they look at Christians and they throw them in jail? Okay, that's what we think when persecuted happens. There's a different definition for persecution. That's in there. That meaning is there. It's not all it means. Persecution doesn't have to mean you're being killed for your faith. Persecution could also mean that, that you're being harassed by somebody. This person troubles you. Do we all have those people? Wives, you can elbow your husband, it's fine. Or you can elbow the person next to you, it's fine. That happens too. We need to learn how to forgive. It doesn't always have to be in your relation in your faith. And so Paul says this, bless those who you can't get along with for whatever reason is there that you can't get along with them. This is comforting to me. Because in a weird way, we're told that we are going to bump heads with one another. We're going to have disagreements. It doesn't say if you're persecuted. It says you're persecuted. When this happens, bless them. And this is shockingly counterintuitive. In fact, there's a scientist named Everett Worthington. Okay? He, he's out of the University uh, or, or Virginia Commonwealth University. His name's Everett Worthington. He did, he's a psychotherapist kind of guy. He did something where he put his, his subjects under like a brain mapping thing. This is when medical stuff... I'm saying it wrong, okay? He, he starts to trace brain activity. And when his subjects were about to take place in something with revenge, their neuroreceptors lit up like Vegas, okay? They just started firing. And he said, yes, this is how we're wired. This is how we're, we're wired for revenge. We get, we get excited to do it. Why? They hurt me, I'm gonna hurt them. And then we feel good about it. Paul didn't have the fancy neuroreceptor lines with to talk about it, but he does address it. And he says, when someone persecutes you, don't think about revenge. Hang on, I'm getting the whistle. Instead, he says something different that's even worse. Bless them. Now, this isn't condoning evil. Blessing someone isn't saying what they did is okay. It's not denying the hard thing that they did. It's not uh, giving them permission to do it uh, over to you. He says, bless them. Christianity doesn't condone evil ever. Evil is real. Evil hurts. And evil does matter. It has long-term effects that we need to pay attention to. This is one of the core differences that we see between Christianity and other religions, say Buddhism, for example, because as Christians... Our core belief is that God made a good and perfect world, Genesis 1 and 2. That's where our story starts, Genesis 1 2. Genesis 3 is when it gets all fouled up, but that doesn't nullify Genesis 1 and 2. God made a great and perfect world, and evil distorts it and damages it and spoils creation. And we can't say, we can't say that evil is just another part of goodness. That doesn't jive with Christianity. It's actually the opposite so there's evil there and we have to call it what is evil evil but what do we do when evil happens to us bless them bless it and I read that this week and I'm like no I don't want to bless it I want to yell at it I want to point my finger at that person I want to give them the two cents of what I have in my brain and give it to them down their throat so they change right and does that work No, thank you for the feedback. No, it doesn't. When we hurt, the question that we usually ask ourselves is what? What am I going to do about this? I'm going to take it into my hands, and then I'm going to hurt them back equally or even more than they hurt me. Paul doesn't ask that question. Paul doesn't say, what are you going to do about it? Paul says, what has God already done about it? So there's evil in the world. It's not what are you going to do about it, what's God done about it. Paul paints this picture of following Jesus at the center of this picture is a humanity at the height of evil. This is what the first part of Romans is about, right? For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. No one is without an excuse. There's evil in this world. What are we going to do about it? Nothing. What does God do about it? Romans 5.8, he moves towards us in reconciliation. He moves towards us In peace, he moves towards us, not in disassociation, not in avoidance, but in association, in relationship. While we were in the worst shape of our lives, what does God do? He approaches us, puts himself on a cross so that there can be forgiveness, so that there can be a relationship that is restored. Instead of revenge, what does God do? He blesses. So what does it mean to bless? The following verses clear it up, but not really. We need to think about this more. What does it mean to bless? To bless means to cause, to prosper, to make happy. To curse means doom, to invoke evil upon. Instead of seeking revenge, instead of holding the bag of rocks that I'm holding on my back, it it means letting them go. We are to bless them. Specifically, when something good happens to them, rejoice with them. Which is hard because when something good happens to that person, and we all have that person in our mind, we want to go, oh, come on. Seriously? Them? How did they get this job? How did they get the house? How did they get that car? How did they get that spouse? It just kind of goes down the line. Why does something good happen to them? Because they're jerks. And when something bad happens to them, we want to go, yes, awesome. Okay, I, I, uh, I have a least favorite golfer, Okay. And I have to confess, I, I hope that this golfer, whenever I see him, trips on his way to the green when I'm watching the PGA. It's like, oh, fall down. When he's by the water, I'm like, oh, wouldn't it be sweet if he fell in the water? <laughs> this is how I think. I don't like this golfer. It did nothing to me. I just saw him do something. I'm like, ah, he's a jerk. And so this is just how we're operating. We have this, we have this tendency. Instead, what Paul says is when you're in that relationship, Bless them. Come alongside of them. When they're sad and when they fell into the water, give them a towel. When when they've done well, congratulate them. Comfort them. Verse 16, live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but willing to associate with people of low position. Don't be conceited. Live in harmony? You want me to actually get along? Harmony is when your, your lives and their lives make a decent pitch together. It's, some of your translations might say, be of one mind. And it doesn't mean that you guys are all robots and you think the same thing. We're going to be going places. We have to wear the serum uniforms. That doesn't what it means. It means that you guys can agree to live together. You guys can agree on one thing. It's a single-minded pursuit that we're going to be this way for eternity. We better start getting along now. We have to find a way to do it. So Paul says, be in harmony. None of this matches with our culture and none of this matched with their culture. They lived, the people of Rome that Paul's writing to would hear this and go, seriously? No way. They didn't have the neuroreceptors thing to to deal with, to, to point this out. But they had a culture which was entirely based on whether you were important or not. And if you were, say, a Roman senator, you did not hang out with the general public. If you were wealthy, you didn't hang out with your slaves. You didn't hang out with your workers. There were literally seating arrangements at weddings or seating arrangements in public places that had the low class of society over here, the middle class here, and the well-to-do over here. You didn't cross those lines. You lived in separation from each other. Everything from seating arrangements in temples to, to public meetings was based on how, you, uh, how well you were. And they, they, it wasn't that if, if there was something wrong that they would actually pursue a reconciliation. No, they loved this idea of apathy. Apathy meant that you were smarter. You can go, eh, whatever. I'm just going to let it go. I'm not even going to do anything about it. I'm not going to do something to fix it. They prized that. This is what the philosophers loved. If you could remove yourself from a situation, you could be above it and you could be better than this. So you would never bless someone who's different in a different class than you. You would never bless someone who had hurt you. You would never do that. Instead, you would curse them and you would seek their demise as often as you can. And the posture of this and the posture that hits us in that in the same way that it hit them is what Paul says at the end. Pride, arrogance, and conceit. When you think you're better than someone, what are you? Arrogant. We all know those people. They're arrogant. They're better than us. They're the elites. They don't like us. We don't like them. Instead, Paul says, no, no more of that. Look at what God did. God's better than us, yet he associated with us. God moved towards restoring the relationship. We should follow the same way, just as Christ died for us, which is the first key to overcoming some of our forgiveness issues right? This is the first, this is one of the insights that Paul talks about. Getting rid of your arrogance and pride. By view of God's mercy, he moved towards us and we are to have that same mercy and move towards others when there's a broken relationship. Instead of seeking revenge, which isn't mercy, seek understanding, seek grace, seek restoration because you have experienced it too. Jesus tells the parable in Matthew where where, somebody, where a guy comes and he owns this huge debt, right? And he goes before his debtor and he says, I can't pay it. And the king goes, all right, I'll forgive it. And then he goes back outside and finds someone who owes him a dollar and shakes him down and throws him in prison. Jesus goes, that's not forgiveness because this man was forgiven his enormous $300,000 debt and he went and shook down someone over a dollar. He hasn't been living by the mercies. That he was just given, because we have received mercy, we give mercy. This last section in Romans twelve, right? Remember the the section of Paul's writing. Romans twelve is begins the last section of. Now, what do we do? In Romans one through eleven, is some pretty awesome theology. Uh, Paul waxes eloquently on and on about our relationship with God. In Romans twelve, there's a shift. And he said, begins it with a therefore. And then he says what? Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of what? God's mercies. This is the motivating factor in all of our relationships. In view of God's mercy. What? Offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, which means sometimes you do what you don't want to do. Holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Then there's the break. We all go, yeah, that's the easy part here don't conform to the pattern of this world in this time don't conform to this idea of you're better than somebody else don't conform to the idea that you have to get revenge don't conform that idea but be transformed how by renewing your mind then you will be able to test and approve what god's will is his good pleasing and perfect will and what's god's will That we should love one another just as he had loved us now you've seen the mercies Live like you've received it. Live like you need that mercy and give that mercy and grace to somebody else. Don't react like everybody else does. I have to learn this a lot, especially lately. There have been some things in the past 19 months, like you, that have happened to me that have set me off. And I don't want to be around certain people. So I pick up rocks and I go into meetings and I go into settings where I'm just like, oh, I want to jump down this person's throat. And in me thinking about this passage a few weeks ago, looking at it going, oh man, I have to learn how to forgive. Because I've got to live with these people. It's not my wife, don't worry. But I, I, she's, yeah, she most likely has to forgive me for the offense I do to her. But I, I'm, I'm, I'm looking at it going, I need to release some of these things I'm holding grudges. Why? It's affecting my relationships. It's affecting friendships. And there's a division happening. And I can't wait for them to come say they're sorry because I know they're wrong right? I'm not wrong. I have to be the one to release it first. And look what Paul says. This is how do we forgive, right? How do I get to that place? Paul says this, don't repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. Now that last part is something that we need to check check ourselves with, right? Don't uh, do what is right in the eyes of everyone. Sometimes everyone thinks something is right. Doesn't mean that it's right. Okay? Paul is doing something here. He's not saying that if everyone does something, groupthink, peer pressure, it's okay. That's not what it's saying. Paul is saying, live, don't repay evil for evil. There's still a line of what is right and wrong. Don't take the repaying into your own hands. Seek the benefit of one another. Remember, live in harmony with one another. Don't allow the other person's destructive patterns. And and actions influence your own actions just because there was a wrong done to you. Verse 18, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. And notice the qualifier here. If it's possible, as much as you can, meaning there's going to be times where you don't get along with somebody. There's going to be times where, yeah, that person, every time around them, I don't get along with them. There's going to be times where you don't get along. It's life. It happens. You're not going to love everybody. You're not going to enjoy everyone's presence. But if it's possible, which means that there's probably a good chance, still be peaceable. You're going to be offended by somebody. You're going to bump heads with somebody. Psalm 23 talks about how uh, the Lord anoints our heads with oil. And he's, he's doing this whole thing with sheep. And the sheep used to bump heads every mating season. And there would be uh, scars and welts. And, and it says, this is going to happen okay we're gonna bump heads we're gonna get hurt this is why the lord covers the shepherd would take the oil and anoint their heads with oil so it would heal the scar and then when they would bump heads they would glance off and instead of knocking the other sheep out they would just prove their point with a glancing blow it wouldn't be so devastating so paul says as much as it depends on you don't let it when you come bumping heads with somebody don't let it be a devastating blow don't ruin a relationship about it. My coach in football used to say this, you're going to get offended, you're going to get hurt, so toughen up, buttercup, and find a way to deal with it without destroying the team. Football practice usually means there's a lot of fights happening because guys are guys and we tend to do things. We're dumb. Okay? You're going to get offended. Don't let it get into the locker room. Don't let it destroy the community. When it, and when it happens, and it will, seek the best for that person which means this the revenge that you're planning what you would do when something does when someone does you wrong stop it it's not an option verse 19 do not take revenge my dear friends but leave room for god's wrath for it is written it is mine to avenge i will repay says the lord now revenge can be subtle Revenge comes in many shapes and forms. It's not always uh, slashing tires or, uh, you know, bombing people. It's not always revenge. I don't think you're going to go bombing people, but, you know, you get the point, right? Revenge isn't always this awesome display of power. Sometimes revenge looks like this. Can you believe what so-and-so did? OMG. Okay, I can't believe it either. And you start tearing down the other, person's re- the other person's reputation because they did this and they offended me. That can be revenge. You destroy them. It can look like a cold shoulder. Oh, yeah, I'm ignoring you. I don't want to talk to you. I've just lessened you. What have I done? I've made myself better. I've given you a cold shoulder. I don't want to talk to you anymore. You pretend that they don't exist. It's subtle, but that's still a form of revenge. We're not on speaking terms anymore. And sometimes you haven't even told them and they're left going, what the, what did I do? Subtle comments to undermine their credibility or even excluding excluding them from various forms of community. Revenge comes in all shapes and sizes. It's not just the violent ones. Now, did you notice who Paul brought into this? He says, you don't take revenge. There's a difference here. Paul says, leave it in God's hands. There's an offense between you and somebody else. And Paul says, let God handle the punishment part. It's the ultimate God card. Let Jesus handle this one. He'll handle it. Here's what happens. Each one of us has a code of right and wrong. wrong, And when that, ju- when, that, uh, when that code or that sense of law, that justice with us is wronged, the first thing that we're, we do is we start planning. We're left wondering what happened to this code. How come they broke it? Where is our justice? And when our justice doesn't happen the way we want it, deep down inside we start wondering, did anyone else see what happened to me? Do you see what they did to me? Now they saw that, no one saw it, then I'm gonna take revenge because I have to fight for myself. I have to fight for my standards of justice. I have to put up my walls and no one saw this, I'm gonna take care of it. They weren't punished the way that I would punish them. Does this sound familiar yet? Now I'm going to take care of it. And because of that, revenge is the next step. Apparently there's no accountability. Now it's up to me. I will be the justice. Now to the Hebrew mind, God's wrath and God's justice are the same. God looks at abuse and is angry. God looks at the wrongs that are done to you and is angry. God looks at uh, various forms of, of things that might have happened, whether they be someone took something from you, someone violated you, someone said this, and he's angry about it. So when we see the phrase, when we see that, leave room for God's wrath, it's really saying, leave room for the only one who can ever bring justice. The proper view of justice is not our view. The proper view of justice is God's view. God is the definer of justice. We pollute justice with our very meanings of what justice might be. But God's justice, leave room for God's justice. When we take matters into our own hands, we're essentially saying, hey God, I don't like the way you're handling this. It doesn't make sense. Uh, so get out of my seat, God. I'm going to drive for a while. There's no room for you in this situation. There's this book in, in the Old Testament called Habakkuk. Uh, you can say Habakkuk or Habakkuk or however you want to say it. We all get it. It starts with an H and ends with a Habakkuk. So in the whole book of Habakkuk is him crying out to God saying, how come you're not punishing the Babylonians? Look what they did. And, and he goes off. And it's, it's very refreshing to read in your quiet time. Add that one to Leviticus. And it's, it's a lot easier to read. Uh, but and he, and basically God goes, if I told you what I was going to do about this in order to bring justice, you wouldn't believe me. God's justice looks way different than ours. And when we say, God, I'm going to handle this, get out of my way, what we do is we put another rock in our bag and we start thinking that we're God. When we move towards revenge instead of forgiveness, we say that our judgments are better than God's. This is why Paul brings God into this this discussion. This is what revenge is actually at its core. I'm better than what God thinks. This is why forgiveness is also such a radical practice. 1 Peter 2.23 says this, And while being reviled, he's talking about Jesus, he did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats, but kept entrusting himself to the one who judges righteously. Jesus was wronged over and over and over again, and he knew even more was coming. Yet he entrusted the payback, so to speak, to God. He entrusted himself to God because he knew that God was the only one who was capable of solving this problem. Central to the idea of forgiveness instead of revenge is releasing that person who hurts you to God and allowing God to deal with it. When we grab on to revenge, we place the responsibility in our own hands and we add things to our lives. Look at Matthew 5. Uh, sometimes I find myself thinking of people who hurt me in some way and I won't be able to get revenge and there's a piece of me that can't even look at them without entering this bitter place. But look what Jesus says. You have heard it said that it said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Again, what do we have? What's assumed here? We have enemies. We have people who are going to step on our toes. Love them anyways. In this context, to pray for them means wish them well. Ask God to move in their lives. So Jesus is praying, pray for someone that God would do well for them. It is God's, pray for God's best for them. It's to position your heart in a way that you're asking God to come into their lives. Let God expose the wrongdoing that was happening there. Sure, sometimes you'll have to go confront them. Sometimes you'll have to say, hey, this hurt, ouch. That's happened to all of us. We've been on both ends of that conversation, likely. But having that conversation doesn't mean that you get to exact some kind of punishment for them. We love revenge in this culture. We wait for the clapback on Twitter. We wait for the response when someone does something wrong. What do we do? We ignore them. We we want that to happen, and there's nothing that can satisfy our sense for blood in that sense in that way. God says, "Don't do that," which really means what I'm hoping to see when I bless them is I'm hoping to see the best for them. I'm not going to have passive uh, revenge either. I've been in this place. I've released my anger deep down. Maybe you have too, where I'm secretly hoping that they trip and break their nose or I'm hoping that they fail miserably. We've all had that. That's revenge. I won't be an instrument of God's wrath. Okay, we, we can just say, okay, fine. I won't do that. But if, if something happens to them and, and, and if we have those people, I have those people, I'm not going to do it, but somebody else can right? Somebody else can get revenge for me. It's not me, but you can. I have those people and that they've hurt me. I have some addresses. If you want them, you can go pay them a visit. This is another way we do things. And said, Paul, Paul suggests here, be at peace with one another. We surrender the right for revenge because we recognize that that is the path straight to insanity. And in doing so, we entrust that person and the wrong that they did to a higher standard of justice. And forgiveness begins when we can ask God to bring that person hope. When we ask God for the best to happen to them. Look in verse 20, on the contrary. If your enemy is hungry, what does this say about offering their best? Give them something to eat. If he's thirsty, give them something to drink. In doing so, and this is the hope, right? This is our kind of revenge. You will heap burning coals on their head. It's not why you do it. Yeah, right? I'm going to forgive them and watch. These burning coals are hot. No, 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 no. Most likely your enemy knows that you're their enemy. And when you're kind to them, they see somebody else working in your life. Oh, I've offended this person. And they're still nice to me. Why? What's going on? Oh, it's Christ. Christ. It's Jesus that's doing this. That's the burning coals. And you're not the one heaping them. God is. It's the Spirit working in their lives. Remember, Paul is talking to a community of believers that weren't getting along in Romans. He's saying, this is how we get along. Don't be overcome by evil, but overcome evil from good. So we have to forgive. We have to find a way to take the backpack off, right? We have to be able to say, I'm going to release this. I'm going to put this down and not carry it so that I can live again. Wow, that was heavy. We have to figure out that in our lives. If we're going to love one another like we're commanded to, we have to be able to forgive. And forgiving is hard. There's a a psychologist, author, he wrote this book called Boundaries, and he's written a whole bunch of other stuff called Henry Cloud. And he usually writes with a Dr. Townsend. And he has these definitions of forgiving that I think would be wise for us. As we learn to forgive people, there's some parameters with forgiving, okay? The first thing we have to know, when we forgive somebody, it doesn't mean that we condone what they did. Forgiving is not condoning evil. When I forgive them, I'm not saying what they did to me was right. When I'm forgiving, I'm setting someone else free, myself, myself, for having to take revenge on setting them free for what they did to me. Resolving to live free of bitterness, hate, and revenge is a different issue from condoning what they did. So when we talk about forgiveness, what they did, I'm not saying I forgive you from this, that means you could do it to me again. No, what they did was wrong. That's clear. Evil is evil. Evil is never good. Evil is evil always. What you did was evil. Not condoning it, but I'm going to release you from the penalty. Forgiving is not always forgiving or forgetting. We hear this say, right? Forgive and forget. Forget the offense. No, no, no. Some people are toxic, some people are dangerous. And they're going to abuse, they're going to hurt, they're going to manipulate again and again and again. We forgive them, we release them, we take away the sentence that we've put on their lives and we say, God's going to handle you and I might not ever be able to be in a room alone with you ever again. That can be forgiving. We forgive, we set them free, we've dropped the rocks, but their actions are toxic and I can't be around you. Uh, If there's an abusive situation, you can forgive them and then get to a safe place. We see this, and this has been abused all the time in the church. There's an abusive spouse to another spouse. And we say, you have to forgive them and learn to live with each other. No, 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 no. Forgiving them means get to safety. Set up some boundaries so it doesn't happen again, especially in places where you've been abused and hurt. Getting a restraining order might be okay with forgiving somebody. Let the consequence of justice and laws play out. Those are different issues than issues of your heart. Forgiving doesn't always mean reconciling. It takes two to reconcile, and forgiving the person doesn't always mean you're going to get back together. Forgiving the person doesn't mean that you'll start a business together again. Forgiving the person doesn't mean that you'll go back to the way things were before. What happens is we get this all confused, and the person who's done the wronging says, you're supposed to forgive me, and we're supposed to ignore the wrong that was happened. And and that's not true. Don't get suckered into that. We may forgive them, extend the love of God to them, but that's a different thing from reconciling. Sometimes it may be that what they did means you can never go back to the way things were before. Uh, my my dad had a construction business and, and he would build churches all throughout Southern California, amongst other things. Uh, but he was bidding for a church and it, this was he was really excited for this one. And, and then all of a sudden it stopped out of nowhere. And I was working for him at this point and I was like, what's going on? You almost had the contract in your hands. And he did some poking around and one of... His friends, uh, what he thought his friends, took the liberty to call this church and completely bowed mouth my dad's business. Took the contract out of his hands. Hurt dad's business for a while because the reputation of my dad's company was completely marred forever or for a time. My dad and this guy got together. He hashed it out, but then he said, you know what, I'm going to forgive you we don't do business together anymore. I'm releasing you from this, but it can't go back to the way it was. There has to be a boundary around, around me so I don't get hurt again. And the other guy did the same thing, but you're supposed to forgive me. Oh, I have. I'm not going to seek revenge on you. I'm not going to file the defamation lawsuit. I'm not going to do all of those things. I'm going to let God deal with this. And I don't know if God has, and I don't think my dad knew before he passed if God had or not. He had forgiven him. Their business dealings never went back to normal, and that's okay. Forgiveness is a different issue. The next one, forgiveness is a different issue than justice and consequence. It's okay to call the police if someone breaks into your house. You don't say, oh, you're here. You know, Les Miserables a great, great show, right? But you don't hand them the china all the time, okay? That's not always what we do. Uh, sometimes there's consequence. Into, so consequence. To what's going on forgiving is a different issue than the institutional consequences of their actions catching up to them often i've heard well i can't press charges no you can you can it's okay to press charges. it's okay to let their decisions play out natural consequences are sometimes how god deals with people let the natural consequences play out that's okay you forgiving them has a different connotation than the consequences of law Forgiving is also personal. You forgive people. You don't always forgive. It's not an institution. It's not an organization or a faceless group. Uh, I hear this a lot. The church hurt me. Okay. The church as in like the whole church, uh, capital C, the worldwide church, or the local church. The local church hurt me. Okay. How? And what they really do when you scratch the surface is usually one person said something else about another person. And then we blame the entire institution of the church. That's not it. Forgiveness is personal. Offenses are personal. Usually there's one person there. And so when we forgive, when institution wrongs us, it's this, what's the person in that institution that wronged you? And we need to let go of that. We're casting blame too big. And we're blaming a whole thing instead of the one problem. So we blow everything up. I'll never forgive that organization. It's because you can't forgive an organization. You need to forgive the person within it. Somebody made a choice. Somebody has to be forgiven. You need names, not faceless places. You need people to forgive. And lastly, forgiveness is a process, and it is so messy. Anyone who has been through the path of reconciliation with one another knows that it is awkward. And I love awkward situations. But this is really awkward. Perhaps you're ready to take the step of forgiveness. And I encourage you. However, it's a process of baby steps. Oftentimes, the first thing you can do when, you, when it, it's, it's taking one rock out and saying, you know what? I'm going to learn what it looks like to let go of one rock and put it in the bucket again. One rock at a time. Oftentimes we carry around this baggage of bitterness for years and years, and then we tell them, and we're told that we're supposed to forgive, and we think that it should only take 10 minutes to forgive somebody. No, it takes a long time. It takes learning how to walk with the 30-pound bag off of your back, how to stand and how to have the right posture. You have to relearn it. Sometimes wrongs have been done to us that shape us in many ways that we're not aware of. And to simply forgive them means that we have to unlearn a bunch of bad behaviors that we've learned along the way. How many of you have ever twisted your ankle? Yes? I think we've all done this. How many of you ever done something bad where you walk with a limp for a while? What do doctors say? Don't walk with that limp all the time. Why? Because you're going to create a bad habit, and then you're never going to get rid of that limp. Same thing with forgiveness. It takes a while, and it hurts to learn how to re-walk again. Paul says you're going to have to learn, forgiveness says you're going to have to learn how to walk normally and it's going to take a few steps to do it. Forgiveness is a personal and it takes a long time and it's messy. One tiny step at a time but slowly as we learn to forgive we're finally able to unload the weight that you and I carry around and we find that we're free to live again. We're free to love one another again. We're free to serve one another again because what's weighing us down has been removed. I think as we as we come to the close of this part of the service we know that there's somebody in our lives that we need to begin the process of forgiveness with. We can close our eyes, maybe you've been thinking about this the whole time, but there's something that you're holding on to that you just need to say, "Okay, God, I'm going to try this. I'm going to take this rock out of the bag." And I'm going to see what it looks like, one rock at a time, to say, I'm not going to live with that one anymore. That was loud. I'm not going to live with that one anymore. Maybe today is the day where you start holding a rock and you go, what would it be like if I could be free from this? If I could put this down again, how would your life be different? doesn't mean you have to be besties with them all over again. It doesn't mean that you have to trust them with watching your children. It doesn't mean that you have to invite them to every get together you get, but you're not going to carry the weight anymore. And then what you find is, you know what? That feels good. Cover your ears. I'm going to try it again. Then I'm going to try it again. And soon and, and later, these rocks become, you know what? I like this. I don't have to worry about that relationship anymore. I am free to worship in my church without looking over my shoulder. I am free to do things in my life without wondering what they're going to do with us. And remember, the key to our forgiving is realizing that you and I have been forgiven too. First, when we have offended, God forgives. The picture of God throughout Scripture and so god's saying return to me i'm not mad at you i'm not i don't have a list of all the things that you've done i'm not angry with you anymore let's talk about this i've forgiven you so much to the point where i've died for you so that we can have a relationship i took the 99 steps so you could take the one back to me come on let's live in right relationship and so today as we ponder the rocks that you and I carry, and we begin to release them, I'm going to encourage us to do this. Before we start releasing them, head over to the communion table. Take a second. Look at the cross. This is how God's forgiven you when you were offensive. And in the same way, may we begin to release these things so that we can have a better relationship with one another because we've been forgiven in a major way. Let us forgive one another. So would you bow your heads, close your eyes. We're going to pray. And then as you're ready, we have the communion table over here. Go at your leisure and and pick it up. Take it and start the releasing process. Father, thank you for forgiving us. Thank you for loving us when we were so offensive to you. We've all done it. For all have sinned. All have missed the mark. All have offended you. All have gone the wrong way. And yet you love us still. And you say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to meet you there. I'm going to seek the peace with you. I'm going to love you. I'm going to seek your highest good. I'm not vengeful. I want to establish a relationship, whatever it looks like. And so, God, as we've been forgiven, let us forgive. Let us release the stones that keep us separated, that keep us divided, so that we can love one another. And in loving one another, the gospel is spread. And perhaps there's someone today that needs to take that first step in saying, God, I need to, be, I need to accept your forgiveness. I need to accept what you've done for me. I need to accept your your sacrifice on the cross. Maybe you've never done that. Today might be the day that you take that first step and seek a right relationship with God so that you can have a right relationship with others. And if that's you today, I encourage you. It's simple. Jesus, thank you for your forgiveness. Just say that. I accept you today. I accept the relationship between you and I. Thank you for loving me when I was still yet a sinner. Forgive me. That's it. And then we forgive others. So Jesus, help us to forgive. Can't do this without you. There's no possible way we can. So help us to forgive by your spirit. Work in our hearts. Bring those names to the forefront so we can let go. And as Hebrews says, throw off all of those little things that hold us back so we can run the race with you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.